in the house of God. How many are happy to shout hallelujah to be alive? Amen. With your brothers and sisters. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Going to be preaching to you as the Lord leads this next season. How many enjoyed the book of Revelation as we went through it? Amen. And now we're just going to go with where the Lord leads and to bless us with the different things. Thank you, sir, that the Lord has for us. So just to encourage you in this church at this time, every season has a reason, and we need to have grace and space. Everybody say, every season has a reason, and say, everybody needs grace and space. So those are the kinds of things that I live by. They're more than just one-liners. I believe that every season has a reason, that if you're in a season of life right now and you don't understand the reason, you need to seek God in prayer, go to his word, and say, God, what are you speaking to me in this season? Because this season has a reason. And that may be, you know, something that you're going through. Maybe you're going through a challenge in your finances or your health or somebody that you know or love is going through challenges. And that time may be a time of testing. And so you have to go to God's word and say, God, what am I learning? What do you want me to gain and learn from this season? What is the reason? Somebody say there's a reason for every season. Amen. And so that's what I want to do during this time. I want to connect some reasons to seasons. I want there to be some application of the Word of God to different things going on in your life, different things going on in our culture and society. And if you had joined us in the previous season, there was a reason for the book of Revelation. We wanted everybody to understand about the end times. And now we're going to be talking about scenarios and situations and things that we're facing. Some of it may have to do with big events and big things in the world. Others just may be situations we're facing in this church, in this local body. So I want you to be ready for reasons and seasons. And then everybody say, there's grace and there's space. You see, in every situation that you're going through, God has given you grace and space. God has given you the opportunity to be able to grow in that place, in that, in that season that you're in, with grace. Somebody say, grow by grace. Amen. So our principle as a church here is to grow by grace. We don't grow out of legalism. We don't grow out of fear. We grow out of God's love and his grace that he's given in our lives. Amen. And so, yes, we look to the book of Revelation and we're reminded of the fear of the Lord, but I am not here just to implant the fear of the Lord in the book of Revelation to you in that way. I want you to understand that we are spared, hallelujah, from the destruction of Revelation by the grace of God. How many believe that? And so... Yes, we've got to go through it. We've got to understand it. Those things are happening. Sometimes people think the wrath of God is only seen in the cross and it being subsided because of the cross, and that's not true. The wrath of God still remains on those who don't have Christ, and the wrath of God will be poured out. But for those of us who have come from the wrath of God into grace, how many know there's space to grow? There is space to grow. And so Christianity is not about legalism and forcing you to do things to prove to your um, heavenly stepfather who doesn't really love you to begin with that now you can be acceptable to him. How many know that's not the message? And no offense to good stepfathers, but you know, sometimes that's how we feel like the devil's our real daddy. And then now, you know, God has taken us as our stepfather and he, he doesn't really like us because we've got too much of our real daddy in us. Come on. Can I talk to somebody here? Come on, apply this to your situation in life. Do you know what I'm talking about? And now, oh, the baby daddy, that's crazy. That's the crazy one, you know. And the stepdad got to come and fix everything. That's not the way the Bible looks at it. The heavenly father is our real father. 
We were separated from him by a liar, by a thief, amen, by the devil. And so we don't belong in the devil's kingdom. We were not created for the devil. As a matter of fact, we were always, somebody say always, always the apple of our father's eye. We were always the treasure of God's heart. And so after the series of Revelation, I think it's good for me to remind our church again what we're about. Amen. I don't know if anybody else needed that remembrance, but I did because I was preaching it every week. And I just wanted to go back over some of the principles that God has a plan for my life, that God loves me, that I'm not supposed to be here when the seven plagues come from all the different bowls and, and you know, the trumpets and all that. And so for this next season, not that it's either or, it's both and, but I want us to remember the foundation of Christianity is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So I want to just encourage you during this season to come ready with your word, come with your scripture. I want to study myself full, preach myself empty. If I ramble, let me know, and I'll go back to notes. But for the most part, I don't want to come with the notes and the PowerPoints. I'm done with charts. Can I hear an amen? I'm done with charts for a while. Once again, it's not an either or. It's a both and. I'm thankful we had them for a while. But I want to go to the places where you and I can apply it to our heart and to our everyday life, understanding that there's a reason for every season and that God is giving us his grace in the space that we're in so that we can grow. Somebody say fullness. Amen. Open up your Bibles to Colossians, please. I want to talk about fullness today. As the Lord has just been speaking this into my heart, Colossians is going to be our text today. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Can you say it again? Fullness. I believe today that in the body of Christ, we lack the understanding of the fullness of God. So often we see ourselves as beggars, as those empty, always coming to God to fill us or to do something in us, you know, just asking him for another crumb. And preachers oftentimes don't help with this mentality because when they tell us the gospel stories, they always put us in the situation as those who are busted and disgusted. They put us in the story as the Seraphonician woman begging Jesus for the crumbs, and now you're that woman in that story, and they want to encourage you to just call out to Jesus so you can get crumbs. Listen to me, my friends. You are not today a woman from a pagan nation not knowing the God of Israel. You're in the inner circle. The God of Israel is your God. Amen. He's your father. She didn't understand that. She had to get that revelation. That's where she started, but how many know that's not where she ended? She ended being welcomed at the table like everybody else to come get some of God's goodness. And so once again, we go to these stories in the Bible, and these preachers don't help us. They put us into these places of dishonor to actually who we are in the body of Christ. How many here believe Jesus Christ is Lord? Okay, amen. Then I'm talking to you today. You have a place, a position in the body of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. You have a place that gives you identity and privilege. And these privileges are not things that should make you prideful, but to make you grateful. Somebody say grateful. Come on, I am grateful that I have been adopted into the king's house, that I am a king's kid. That's the name of our children's program, but how many know you don't outgrow being a king's kid? Once a king's kid's always a king's kid. Amen? Now, you can backslide. I truly believe, I truly believe in that. We can rebel, and I, I think there's stories of that in the scriptures, but how many here want to stay a king's kid? You want to stay in the Father's house. You want to be blessed to be a blessing. And so once again, your, your privilege, your identity, this is not a matter of something 
something to be uh, boastful and prideful over, to boast over others, but to boast rather in the Lord and in his goodness. And one of the things that have just been in my heart as of lately that God's been speaking to me is fullness, that we would understand in Christ we are filled with his fullness. We're not looking to be filled. We're not going to our Father begging every day for some kind of little blessing just to make us get, get through the day. But rather, God wants us to see us, uh, to see ourselves as He sees us, and that's full. And then from the fullness that He's given us to be able to feed on His faithfulness and to do the good works He's called us to do. How many want to feed on the faithfulness of God today? How many out of the fullness of the blessings of God want to live a prosperous life today? Amen. Come on, somebody. If, you're, if your neighbor don't want it, then get double. Amen. Take their blessing as well if they don't want it. The Bible says what you don't use, somebody else is going to take. It's like, no, I'm already blessed enough. Okay, if you're not praying for more blessings, I won't pray for yours to be pushed onto my plate. Amen. And I know that may sound to some of you, oh, you know, pastor, you're preaching like that prosperity message. Well, first of all, I believe God wants us to prosper and not fail. How many believe that? Okay, but when we talk about the prosperity message and the issues that maybe we may have in this church with it, because I can't speak for everybody, but I know for myself, it's not the fact that these, these preachers talk about the blessings of the Lord. It's that they don't talk about how to pour it out into the world and to be a blessing to others. That's my issue with it. Because it's not that I have an issue with someone being blessed on their business or on their job or in their finance. As a matter of fact, there are scriptures for all of that, isn't there? I mean, that is not the sign of godliness because you can look on the outside to be blessed and still be cursed because your life is wrong. But if your life is right and you're not wasting money on drugs and alcohol and pornography, shouldn't you have a blessed marriage? Shouldn't you be the best one on the job? Shouldn't your business be prospering? Shouldn't you be saving and investing and reaping a harvest? Come on, somebody. So, so once again, it's not an either or, it's a both and, and that the world wants us now to get mad at preachers who talk about prosperity and blessing because they, they want you to think we're trying to take something from you. No, I want to put something inside of you, and that's the faithfulness of God. I want to put in you faith to trust the Lord to be a, an amazing person upon this earth that we can be an example. Because during this time, if if you're like me and you've been watching the signs of the time and you believe we're living in Babylon, somebody say Babylon, then we better be blessed like Daniel in Babylon. And if they're going to throw us into the lion's den, let it be because they can't find nothing on us except our love for God. But we're blessed. We're prosperous. We're wise. We can out-understand them and out-know things. We can outwork them. And yet the only thing they can find against us is our love for God. Okay, so be it. Then that's where I'll make my stand. Amen. But I'm not going to be busted and disgusted to prove my humility to them. No, I want to beat them and show how awesome God can be while we're beating them, making a touchdown, scoring on them, and pointing to heaven. Amen? As we're buying their businesses, as we are taking over the blocks of the land, I want to put a cross on the block. Amen? <laughs> I'm telling you, how many want to prosper in Jesus' name? I mean, I really want to see God do this. I want to see neighborhoods change. I'm tired of Muslims acting like they're the only ones that want to see community change or these people out there in politics are the only ones who want to see community change. It's time for the church to take its place out of the fullness of God and see real change. It's time for the places where there's churches and where there's Christians to actually live up to that reputation and to have more than enough to give and not to be known, to, you know, to, to not to be known as a borrower but to be known as a lender. Uh, now, I say this, you know, just to, to boast in the Lord, that since we've been a church, we haven't had to borrow. We've always been the one that can give and support others, amen? And we're not going to do that. 
I would rather it be in this church and say it's all paid for in cash by God's grace and all of that than to go out there and try to build a big church that we can't afford and get in debt and all of that mess happens out of it. We are going to be a blessed people. But it starts spiritually. Somebody say spiritually. And sometimes when people hear the word spiritual, they think that that's less than the natural. Like, oh, you know, you Christians, you believe in spiritual things, but I believe in hard work, or I believe in education and these things. Let me ask you a question. If we are not spirits doing those things, then what are we? See, spiritual is not something that's looked at as second class in the things of the world, even just in accomplishing our, on our jobs. And, you know, if you are a farmer, if you want to plant a field, well, well, you know, Joe, you be a spiritual farmer, and I'll be a hardworking farmer. No, I want to ask, why can't I be both? And then to the one that's working hard, where do you get the ability to work hard from? Where do you get the ability to have a mind? What separates you from the animal that keeps going on your farm and eating up all your crop? What makes you disciplined to know you don't eat your crop while it's growing to store your crop? It's because we're spiritual souls. We have mind, will, and emotions. And God wants us to understand that if we get the spiritual right, if we get the inner life right, then we'll do the other things right. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Do you see how this works? We, we, just a few moments ago, I said, how many of you believe Jesus is Lord? And everybody shouted amen. That's for the majority of this congregation, and that's awesome. If you don't know Jesus, we're happy you're here. We want you to know Jesus. But notice here is the progression. Just as you receive Jesus as Lord, just as that is a fact that you can point to in your life where you said, this was the day I made Jesus Lord, continue. Somebody say continue. Continue to live your lives in him. Continue this life with God. Don't think of Christianity as something you did back then. Christianity is a relationship you live out every day. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Somebody say thankfulness. Amen. So the Christian life, according to Paul, writing to this wonderful church here, is that we are to be rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus, giving back to him our thankfulness because we are so honored to be a part of what he is doing in our lives. Now look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And that's a lot of what's happening in our world today. People trying to take a hold of our mind, either through the political movements, religious movements, different things that come even through the church and false doctrine, that we are to guard our minds and not be taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. So it doesn't have any substance, but it's deceptive, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than of Christ. How many know meditating, being quiet, thinking about something positive is an elemental, that is like elementary spiritual? How many know that? That's like baby goo goo gaga stuff. But that's what the world wants to put you on. We'll meditate more. You know, watch what you eat. Put it your health first. We, we all get that. But in spirituality, that's kindergarten. In kindergarten spirituality, you're supposed to understand you can't think about the news all the time. You can't think about crazy stuff all the time. In elementary spirituality, you're supposed to understand you got to set your mind on heavenly things, not even just bubbling books, brooks of water. You need to set your mind on heavenly things. That's elementary. It's elementary to help an old woman across the, you know, the, the, you know, the street to get her home with the groceries. That's elementary. God wants to take us to a whole nother level. God wants to be able to cast demons out of grandma if she's 
got some spiritual bondage. Are you listening? It's elementary to help her across the street, but can you go to the advanced level and say, Grandma, do you need to get free? In el nombre Jesus, ejuela, get free in Jesus' name. Because you got to go to advanced levels. Somebody say advanced levels. Amen. But the world has always wanted to keep you just way down here, you know. Just be a good person, you know, just do these spiritual things and you'll be good. No, there's more to life than that. And it matter of fact, it starts with Christ Jesus as Lord. Because if you're not there with Christ Jesus as Lord, all of this still leads to hell. But even remember, as Hebrew talks about, that we have to move on from these things. It's elementary, even Christian spiritual things. Even things that we know are elementary, we have to not forget them. We always grow with them. I still use my ABCs, but I don't make my life about memorizing ABCs, right? You guys with me? So we don't move away from elementary uh, things in Christianity. We move with them and grow and go on to other things. That's what the Bible says. Now look at verse 9. This is where I want to get us today. Somebody say fullness. Thank you. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to what? Fullness. Now notice this theological truth right here. As much as divinity or deity was in Christ, is as much as Christ is in you. Come on, somebody. Let's get excited. That's a heavy revy right there, especially for a theologian like myself because I'll defend the deity of Christ like nobody's business. Bevy, she's been getting attacked online by some of these people who are conservative, but they don't believe in the deity of Christ. So when we were talking about what we should do for this conference, she's like, I know if they're messing with me, they've got to be around in other people's lives as well. So for the sake of the body of Christ, let's make this conference Jesus is God. So then she sent me a video that she wants us to edit and talk about these people who are saying Jesus is not God and put them on blast in the conference. And I said, Bevy, I'll do that in Jesus' name. That's part of what I love to do. So Jesus is God conference is to remind people who are attacking the deity of Jesus that he's very much God. And this is going to be one of those passages. What don't you understand about this? Let's read it slow. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. I mean, how much more can you be clear about that? Does it say he's missing some of the, the divine nature? No, all the fullness of the deity or all the fullness of God or all the fullness of the divine nature lives in Christ in bodily form. And we believe that's still in the present because when he rose from the dead, he rose physically from the dead to be for us our second Adam. So in Christ, having a resurrected body, that's how we get the promise of a resurrected body. How many are ready to be glorified? We're going to be glorified in the presence of Jesus because Jesus took on a body like us. Though he was without sin, he died for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. And as he rose, he rose for us to have a new body like his body. Now notice this theology. As much of the divine nature is in Christ, is as much as Christ is in us. Fullness. So this is where I want to challenge somebody today. If you are feeling empty, is that a reality or is that just a mere illusion or a feeling misguiding you? 
Because I know feelings come and go, but feelings are not facts. If you feel empty, is that the fact of the matter if you're a Christian? Are you empty? No, that's a deception because the fact of the matter, if you are in Christ, you are full. You are full. And I love to talk to people about this that they get skeptical and they go, oh, I don't know about that. I mean, I know there's still spiritual growth and transformation, Pastor. Are you saying that we've all arrived? I'm saying that as it pertains to your relationship with Christ, you can't get any more full than you are right now. In the, in the sense of growth, as he just said, you can continue to grow. But remember, you're not growing for transformation. You're growing to produce fruit. So think about it like this. The grapevine is a grapevine no matter how much fruit it produces in its time as a grapevine. It's always a grapevine. So if it produces more fruit in one season than another, that doesn't make it more of a grapevine. Does everybody get that? You doing more good works or less good works in the different seasons of your life doesn't change whether or not you are a child, son of, or daughter of God filled to his fullness. The fruit comes from the root, and the root is your identity. And so as we teach here, there is a difference between identity and maturity. We can all identify as being full in Christ today, but that may not be how we are uh, maturely living. So you may live differently than your identity. Do you know what I'm talking about? My children have my identity, but they don't always live like me. But whether or not they live like me or don't live like me, that doesn't change their identity. That's kind of deep, I know. I'm looking at some of y'all. How many of y'all are getting it? I'm going to go through it just a little bit slower for some of you. I want some of you to catch up, okay? In Christ, how many know we became children of God? Boom, born again children of God. How many know there's no one that's a child of God that has something lacking in their nature as a child of God? Okay, you're a child of God. Just like when my wife and I had children, they do not lack in their nature my DNA to be pointed back to us. That is there. Now, as my children grow, they become more mature. They learn how to act like their mom and dad. But nowhere in their acting, nowhere in their doing, do they add more DNA to who they are. You guys tracking with that? And so often we as Christians, and a lot of times preachers don't help, they, they think, and so do Christians think, that the more we do, the more we be. And that's not how the Bible looks at it. It's not looking at it the more you do, the more you be. Because if you do, 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 what do you have? A bunch of do-do. So the more you think to yourself, well, I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to do that for God. And by doing this, I'm going to change myself. I hear people talk like that all the time. That is not the religion of Christianity. They're trying to make Krishna happy, which is a demon, and that's not going to work anyway. But in Christianity, God is not happy or more happy by what you do, 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 do. God gets pleasure out of us knowing who we are and having faith in what he did. God gets pleasure when we start at the finish line and know it is finished. It is finished. That's what gives God pleasure. Somebody's getting happy today. Everybody's going to get happy with my sister. Amen. When we start at the finish line, when my child knows they belong to the family, they can have the confidence and now the security to go out and venture, to grow and mature. So yes, maturity is a part of our lives, and yes, maturity is going to come with some of our mistakes and stumblings and, and, and things that we don't always get right. That's, that's what the grace of God is still there for, because how many know we don't leave the grace of God? We always need the grace of God. But understand this, that that doesn't mean that now we have a hole in our spiritual nature and we're leaking out the fullness of God. 
Just because I had an issue in Bible college with submitting to authority doesn't mean the devil could come to me at that time and poke a hole in my nature, and there I'm leaking out the fullness of God inside of me. Does everybody get that? You're not patching yourself up today to keep the fullness of God in you. The fullness of God is a promise for the believer. That's a promise. That starts at the beginning. That starts at so you're not going through Christianity looking to fill yourself up more. You're starting, as I said, at the finish line. What those other religions are trying to accomplish and hear on that day of their judgment that they've done more good than bad, what they're trying to accomplish, we have already accomplished in Christ. We are now at the place of it is finished. How many believe that? And that is the biblical teaching of Christianity. And that honestly has brought revival in every generation. It has been preached. The Wesleyans, one of my heroes, preached this in their generation, and it brought revival. This is the revival message of the early Pentecostals. And if you want to know what I did my doctorate on, this is the message I did my doctorate on, and the book is written in the back in him as an application of my studies. That when we know who we are in Christ, we'll live more like Christ. But remember, living more like Christ never makes us more like Christ. Some people say we're being conformed into his image and all of those things. And that is true. Your life is being conformed into how Jesus lived. But that doesn't mean when you do that thing that God takes out some putty and then molds you a little bit more like him. No, you start like him. Does everybody get that? Because a lot of times we use this language like, oh, God is working on me. God is working on me. In one sense, he is. He's working on your mind. He's working on how you behave. He's working on that. But the work of your salvation has been done. And when you know who you are, you will act like how he is. And, but if you get it twisted, I'm telling you, how many know there's a difference in this? Because if you get it twisted and you think, I need to act more like him. He's got to mold me some more. Then what you're really saying is that he didn't complete his work in you that he didn't give you the fullness, that there's something still lacking in you and me and that we're making it up by our efforts. And so just put up another passage. Keep this here, Ephesians 2.8. Notice the proper exegesis, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. Somebody say, by grace I've been saved. That encompasses all salvation. All of salvation is accomplished by grace through what? Through faith, not your good works. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul could not be more clear. The completion of salvation from start to finish is by God's grace through faith. The, the mediation between what he has accomplished and what we need has been determined by faith. Faith is the bridge. He made that determination. He could have said what Buddha said, that you have to do all of these things to inherit the kingdom. He could have put that first. He could have did what all of these other false prophets said, but he did not do that. He determined the bridge would be by faith, that it would not be of yourself, your self-effort, your self-determination, your self-discipline. How many know you let yourself down all the time when you try those things? It's by Christ's strength that you can have those things operating correctly. But without Christ, you're going to lose your self-discipline at some point. Just look at how far we've come from January's New Year's resolutions, folks. Come on. 
Amen. And it's only by the grace of God if we've kept them, we've kept them. So it says this is not by yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now notice this, because I, like everyone else, believe in good works. I believe in good works. How many believe you should do good works? But notice how it works here. Notice how works work. For we are God's what? Handiwork. We are God's what? Handiwork created past tense in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared past tense in advance for us to do. I am God's work to do good works. I was made to do good works. So for, for people like that are in this church that are thinking, oh man, sometimes I read the Bible and I'm not sure I can accomplish or do all these things. You're doing it backwards. Once Jesus became the Lord of your life, he made you a work to do that good work. Pornography is not more powerful than the work of purity that Christ has already accomplished in you. The work of purity was given to you the day you said Jesus is Lord. You have the work of purity accomplished in you because Christ is pure. You are pure. So at any time when we find ourselves being tempted to live in the flesh, what is the flesh? The flesh is the opposite of what Christ has accomplished for us. The flesh is what we do for our own selves, and that leads to the sin, the very same thing that we're condemned by. Therefore, the devil, what does he use as temptation? He uses our flesh to try to get us to think that we have not been changed or transformed. He then tempts us with defeat and with frustration, condemnation, to get us to go back to a lifestyle that we've been set free from. And so just as you can have today an identity of royalty and not know it because it's been lost, there are Christians who have lost their God identity, the fullness of God in them, the God-given identity rather, and now they're being deceived by the devil to think they're somebody that they're not. Does anybody ever remember coming to America where Eddie Murphy did it to himself? Pretended like he didn't have a job, had to work in at McDowell's and have nothing and all of these things. He gave up his identity. But he still was a, a prince or a king, right? Like he still was that in royalty. And so often the devil tries to say, oh, you're not, you're not really changed. You're not really a son or daughter of God. You don't have the fullness. Look at your temptation. Look at these things that come against you. Look at the thought life that you have sometimes. God didn't complete his work in you. You're just a dirty old rotten sinner. And yet every time Paul addresses the churches, no matter how bad they're behaving, especially like in Corinth where he has to kick some of them out, he starts by addressing them saints, not sinners. Why? Because it's where you start is at your identity. The identity changes the behavior. Have you ever said to your child, you're, you're a Wyrostic or you're a Brown or you're a, you know, you're a Govea. Act like one. Be who you're supposed to be. This is how you're made. Has anybody ever talked to their children like that? In this house, this is how we live. Nobody got children they talk to like that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like us. You're like me. Son, you're like me. Act like me because you're like me from your identity that you've been given. Notice it here that when we are made Christ's handiwork, we can do all the good works in advance. Every good work that God has for you and I has already been prepared for in advance. Do you believe that? Do you believe that everything God has for you, I want to stay here just for a few minutes. Everything that God has for you and for me has already been prepared for success in advance. Do you believe that? 
I mean, we just read the book of Revelation. You believe he's going to be dropping some bombs on people, right? Well, don't you believe the same God that's going to be dropping some bowls of wrath on people has prepared for you and I to live without sin, to live without falling into temptation in any situation to make a way of escape? So that whenever we find ourselves in those situations, we're not complaining. We're asking God for wisdom. And where is the path that he's prepared for us for success? The path of success has to be here. Where is it, Jesus? I love Joseph. You know, he's such a biblical example, uh, such a good biblical example of holiness. Here he's prosperous in everything that he does, but there's always an affliction coming against him. But that affliction and those tests never changed his identity. He knew who he was no matter what situation he was in. And even if the way of escape was letting the woman hold the robe and him run out naked, he was going to take that as opposed to jumping in bed with her. And so often we make the excuse, man, I don't see a way out of this temptation. I don't see a way out of this thought life. I don't see a way out of this behavioral pattern. And God is saying, there's a way out. There's always a way because he's prepared for us to do good works. Let's go back to that passage in Colossians. Look at how he accomplishes this. Fullness. Can you say it again? Fullness. Thank you. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Now, notice this exalted language about Christ. Our identity is tied to his identity. The theology of the believer is tied to the theology of Christ. Let me just say this before I go on in this passage. That's why so often when I meet supposed mature Christians, who want to put themselves down and think that that's glorifying God. That's actually the opposite of how Paul preaches. When you understand who you are, you're actually glorifying God in this body, in this life that you're living. If my child was to come here today and have their hair all messed up and be dirty and clothes that are ripped and torn and say, I'm a, I'm a son of Joe Wyrothic, I'm a son of a Wyrothic, that doesn't, that doesn't represent me. Do you guys understand that? I would say, son, let me comb your hair. Let me change your clothes. Let me give you a toothbrush. Now, remember, even though he would act like that, he's still my son, but that's not what I'm wanting him to do as my son. And so often Christians say, well, we're just sinners saved by grace. We're just going to keep sinning and God's going to keep forgiving. You know, and in God's time, he'll change me when the good Lord wants. And we make all of these excuses and we think that's glorifying God. That's not glorifying God with boogies in your nose and a dirty diaper and your hair unkept and holes in your clothes. Are you listening? What, what, what shows God glory, what gives, think about this, glory has to do with reputation, which gives God a good reputation. What gives God glory on the earth is when he sees his sons and daughters filled with the fullness of Christ in them, living as more than conquerors, living above and not beneath. Hallelujah. That gives him glory. And yes, will we be persecuted for this. Yes, we will even suffer for this, but they can't take what God has given us. Our identity is what is most important. And yes, God will avenge us as we've learned in that previous series. But look at this. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you also were circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Everybody get this. When we look to the Old Testament, there's an example of circumcision. How many know what circumcision is? How many need an illustration or some pictures up here? No. <laughs> now, boys and girls, we're going to show you what circumcision looks like. Here's a demonstration of somebody being circumcised. 
Circumcision is the removal of the foreskin from the man's body part that makes him a man, okay? The Bible says that was there as a shadow, that that was a shadow. So if you see me up here holding up my hand, you see a shadow down there. The shadow is not the hand. And if you're looking at it in the sense of what comes first, if I put out my hand like this, you can see my shadow comes about three or four feet in front of me. And so as Jesus was coming, his shadow was following him, uh, uh, preceding him. The shadow is the law. But Christ is the fullness of the law demonstrated to us, the grace of God fulfilling every righteous decree. Amen? He fulfilled every righteous decree because not only did he give it to Moses ahead of time, he gave it the power and the ability by the Spirit, but they kept falling and failing and making excuses and said nobody can do it. But he came and did it in our stead, praise God. He came and fulfilled it. He showed us the reality of why it was given to begin with. So what was circumcision a shadow of? What was the removal of the foreskin a shadow of? The removing of the flesh. The removing of that which causes us to be a slave to sin. Notice that it says, in him you have or also were circumcised, past tense, performed by, not by human hands, but it's by the Spirit. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised. Somebody say past tense. It is good to know when this happened. Past tense, when you were circumcised by Christ. How many of you believe Jesus is Lord? Then you were circumcised at that moment from your flesh. Hallelujah. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through your faith in the working of God. Where is God working? Through your faith. Come on. Where is God working? Through your faith who raised him from the dead. Somebody say, my past is past. The last day that your flesh had authority over your spiritual life, that last day was the day you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. That was the last day your flesh had the ability to rule over you. Look at it. Your whole self. Now remember, we're filled with the fullness. That means the whole self had to be taken care of, right? That whole old self. If I'm now filled with the fullness of God in myself, what happened to my old sinful self? Your whole self, ruled by flesh, was what? Put off. That's why I have a new self. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a new me. Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm the 2.0. Amen. It's a new me. Hello. I'm a 2.0 version. I'm not the same one that was born 1977. The one that was born again 1995 is the one you see today because my flesh was removed from my nature. Now, you might say to yourself, well, Joe, it looks like you still have some flesh. Yes, but my flesh no longer defines my nature. This is just the temporary body that I'm living in, and my body is not who I am. I am no more my flesh than I'm my stomach. Are you your stomach? But that thing growls every now and then and wants to be fed. But are you that? No, you have discipline over that stomach. Are you your brain? No, you're your mind that uses your brain. Neuroscience has even taught us that. I wish I could spend some time on that today. 
But this kind of teaching will set you free from your flesh. Because as long as you think to yourself that I am indebted to my flesh because I am still a sinner, you're going to be on the rat race or the gerbil wheel of sin, and you will never experience true freedom. You will mentally be confused and double-minded, and you will feel like God is asking you to do things you cannot do. But if you start at the finish line, if you start at fullness, if you start at being God's workmanship, then the whole Bible, especially the New Testament, fits and starts to come together. How many believe that? It just makes sense now, doesn't it? Well, I got all these good works to do. How am I going to do it? Because I'm made as God's workmanship to do it in advance. He made these things for me to do. That's how I'm going to do it. By God's strength, by God's grace. That's how we're going to live holy. Not by trying more, doing more, trying to impress God more. We're going to do it by faith. Notice it again, and please highlight it, my brother. That through faith, through your faith in the working of God, is God working in our lives to do good things? Absolutely. But is he still working to fill us? No, we've already been filled. Is he still working to save us? No, we've already been saved. Is he working to sanctify us? And I did my studies on sanctification. I believe we're sanctified. How many believe that? So is he still working to sanctify us? No, I believe we're sanctified. We'll get there in just a moment. But listen to me. If you can start at the finish line and believe what God has completed in you, through your faith, he will. What will the work be? The good things you will now do as a new creation. You will stop lying because the truth is in you. You will stop being perverse because purity is in you. You will stop being bitter because forgiveness is in you. But it's not the other way around. I want to give one more example, then I'll show you about sanctification. When we came to Christ and were born again, we were filled with his fullness, according to this passage. Is that not true? Filled with the fullness of God. And that now God is working in our lives through faith. But does it ever say through the working of God in our lives by faith, we get more fullness? Can you add to fullness? No, could you add to the fullness of Jesus' divinity? Do you see how we're supposed to look at it like that? You, you come to a, a brick wall when you deal with that, right? It's like, how full was Jesus of divinity? Full, 100%. But then I ask you, how full are you of Jesus? And now people start saying, 75%, 25% some days. For my doctoral studies, I gave people surveys, I'm telling you, to see how they would judge themselves before or after this revelation. Before I taught them the lessons, what did they see themselves as? How full are you in Christ? And you would be surprised at all the different, you know, the statistics they would give themselves. 14%, I'm not doing so well. And so I made this chart almost like a gas tank, you know. And I, I said, this is how many of you see yourself. Some days you're a quarter full of Jesus. The other days you're full of something else, you know, in your mind. I'm full of something else, full of it. And your friends tell you that all the time. You're full of it, right? So some days you see yourself, 75% of Jesus. That's when you went to church and you didn't get mad in traffic and all of that. I said, but what's the revelation? What's the actual teaching? You're full the moment you became a Christian. The moment Christ came in you, you are full. Just as the moment Christ inhabited that body inside of Mary, he, if he fully filled that body with divinity. As when Christ came in you, he fully filled you with his nature. But the problem is we don't believe it because we still are not living it, and we think the living it makes it true. 
And the living doesn't make it true. The living of the commands of God shows that our faith is genuine. That is correct. That genuine faith, as James says, works itself out. It's not just a dead faith. It's a working and alive faith. But notice, that alone, that idea does not make my, my identity different. The working from my identity simply shows that what God did in me was a true work, that I don't have a false faith. But by my works, I'm not changing my identity. I'm not changing who I am. And so as we see this, once again, having been buried with him in baptism, how many believe your carnal nature nature was buried in baptism? Come on. In which you were raised with him through your faith in the what? Working of God. In the works you do? No, in the working of God through faith. Now, what happens with the works I do, those works produce fruit, but that fruit never produced the root. So here's another example. When you think about a child learning to do things and maturing and growing, they're never changing their a DNA. They're never changing their identity. And so in Christianity, think about it like this. The moment you got saved or confessed Jesus as Lord and the fullness of God came inside of you, you were as much identified with the fullness of God as you will ever be. That's why one of the songs that we sing, I'm closer to heaven now than I have ever been, that's because the moment you have accepted Christ and get that revelation, you can't get closer than how you are right now. When you lose your body and go to heaven and go, oh, I see him face to face, that doesn't mean that your identity or your inner nature has gotten closer to God. That just means that now where you are in this space is closer to God. But in your spiritual nature, you are in his presence right now, seated in heavenly places. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to show you that. Don't let me forget about sanctification. How many believe you're seated in heavenly places? Well, how much more closer to God can you get than seated with him in heavenly places? Where is he seated? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Please go up a few verses from that passage we just read. Look at what it teaches us right here. You used to be all these things and by nature you are deserving of wrath verse 3 but verse 4 but because of his great love for us who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him where in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus so am I seated in heavenly realms yes right now But I'm also in this space right now in my body. Will there be a time that I will not be in this space of the body, but I will be in heavenly realms as my nature has been seated there? Yes, that reality will come. I totally believe that, okay? But what I'm saying is if you're seated with Christ now, how much more closer can you get in your nature to him? You can't. You can't get any closer. And so this idea that we're somehow building a stairway to heaven to come sit on daddy's lap. I heard one preacher say the other day, he said, some of you are so, you know, hungry in this place. He was trying to say it as an encouragement, but it was whack and out of order, and I'll correct it now. Uh, He was like, I feel like some of you now are just so hungry for God. It's almost like you're pulling off his shoelaces and trying to get him to come on down, and you're pulling him on down. No, my friend, I'm not pulling God, God down. He rose me up, amen, moving on up. To the heavenly side, (laughs) finally got a piece of the pie. I've been moved up. Well, God, come on down. God, come on down. And I know what people mean by that. God bless their dear heart. But God has already lifted you and I up. And now from this place of heavenly realms, we are to bring forth the kingdom of God. 
That's how we bring forth the kingdom of God is I'm seated there with him now in heavenly places. The Holy Spirit has transferred my identity and my position. Therefore, I have authority here because where I am, God is with me. And God's authority is with me. That's why we can cast out demons in Jesus' name. That's why we can pray and lay hands on the sick in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. Our identity in Christ has been changed. Our position, or excuse me, our identity in this world has been changed the moment we come into Christ. Where we're seated has changed the moment we come into Christ. Go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. New, new screen there, please. Uh, tab. I want to keep these up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Our identity is attached to who Christ is. Somebody say fullness. Fullness. I want to go over this and then another scripture as well. And just give me this context of chapter 5, please. Go up a little bit. 21 would be the crescendo right here. But notice this, starting in verse 18. All this is from God. Let me go up to 17. I mean, it's the most popular one, but sometimes we forget it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new has partly come, but the old is partly still here. Is that what it says? For anyone who is in Christ, you still kind of jacked up, but God's working on you now, and he's going to help you day by day to be more like him. Is that what it says? Where do we start in Christianity? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And how has it come according to Paul and Colossians? In fullness. The old has gone. The new is here. It's right here. Well, when I get to heaven, I'll be made new. That's not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, you're made new now. Heaven is for glorification of your body. But I'm not my body. I'm a spiritual soul. So the newness that counts is already here. Can I hear an amen? You are a spiritual soul occupying a body that, yes, must die, be resurrected, or transformed at the rapture. But your glorification of a body is not connected to your identity and to the newness of Christ in you being seated in heavenly places. All this is from God. Who is it from? It's from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, this was what we were made for. You were not made to be God's gardener. Why is it we always think it's always about works? It goes back to works. You were not put in the garden just to garden. You're not God's little pet. You were made to have relationship with your Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now in Christianity, listen to me, my friends. Anyone here that is dealing with condemnation because you don't feel like you're doing enough of the works of God, you've got it backwards. Christ did not reconcile you to himself so that you can now just do more things for him. He's reconciling you to himself because he wants you and I to know our identity and the purpose of our creation. Somebody say, I was made to be like him. Amen. You were made to be like Jesus. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So Father and Son working together, right, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So what is our message? What is it called? The message of what? Reconciliation. 
So when we're preaching repentance, are we doing it just because we're mad at sinners? No, repentance literally means to turn away from that which you have grieved God over, that which you are sorrowful over. And so we are telling people to come back to God, to be reconciled to God. And that sin is bad, not just because it, it, it you know, is evil and those things. What is evil is bad is because it takes us away from that relationship with God. That's why when people talk to us, they go, well, you know, homosexuality, two adults loving each other of the same gender, how is that bad? You know, they want to paint it in the way of like sin is only that which culturally we would consider evil. And we would all agree like, you know, hurting children is evil or killing the innocent is evil. And so they'll, they'll paint homosexuality like it's this beautiful thing of two loving adults, love is love. And then they'll say, how do you call that evil? This, this is not on the same level of like a Ted Bundy. This is not on the same level of murder, etc. It's because they don't understand evil by definition is that which takes us from God. That which takes us from our relationship with God. So it doesn't matter if it's touching a fruit that doesn't belong to us or it's two people of the same gender. Whatever is outside of purpose breaks the heart of God and that makes it evil. It breaks the heart of our creator, the purpose from which he made us. We were not made for those things. That's why it's a perversion. It is a distraction and a division from the original version. We were made to know and love Christ, to be reconciled to him. Look at verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So because it's been done in us, yes, now we're going to help see God, you know, uh, help preach this message so God will do it in others. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, though God were making his appeal through us. God is making an appeal through the preaching. How many believe that today? Through our preaching, there's an appeal coming forth. And he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Imploring is not begging, but it comes with strong emotion. He's imploring them, be reconciled. Come on back to God. And that's how we should be as preachers. We should be emphasizing more of the broken relationship than we are of the judgment. It's the loving kindness of God that draws men to repentance. Yes, by the fear of the Lord, we can persuade men as well. But we have to tell them that our imploring is not based on just wanting you to fear God. It's wanting you to love God. Because the love of God will help you understand the fear of God. It's not the fear of God that helps you love God. It starts with understanding why God first made us. That's why if you wanted to know the fear, he would have started us off right by the fire and said, you touch the fire, you're going to burn in hell. He started us off with what is most important, relationship. Trust me, walk with me in the garden, amen? And we broke that because of our rebellion and sin. And so Christ came back to reconcile us. And then now get the heavy revy here in verse 21. This is how it happened. This is now why the reconciliation is possible. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in the same sense of fullness, everybody get this, in the same example of fullness, we're now given this example of sin and righteousness. When Jesus took our sins, was there any sins lacking in what he took for us on the cross? No, he took it all. If we would say all of the world is compiled into 100% of sins, how much of that percent did Jesus take? 100%. Now, when Jesus gives out righteousness, how much does he give out? 10%, 50%, how much does he give out? 
righteousness. Notice the juxtaposition. Notice the comparison. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So he takes 100% of our sin so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God, 100%. So just like he took sin is how he gives righteousness, 100-100, amen? It's 100-100. It doesn't go 50-50. It's 100-100. Did he take all of it or not? If he took all of it, then he's giving all of it back in righteousness. And that's what will transform how we live righteous. Once you know you be righteous, you will do righteous. Once you know you be holy, you will live holy. Once you know you be like Christ, you will live like Christ. Who be you? Who are you? See, that's how we have to start this walk with God, knowing who we are in him. And it says that we become Not that just we do righteous things, we become. How many know the word become is a word of nature? It's a word of ontology, as the philosophers say. It's a word of defining who you are. You become righteousness. It's not just you do righteousness, you become righteous. Oh, I wish I had a church to help me preach. Because we become righteous, we can do righteous. Because we become holy, we can do holy. Because we become the fullness of Christ in our image, he fills us with his fullness, we can do the things of Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, I believe him. Amen. In Christ we were sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and given all that we need. I want to find this scripture in 1 Corinthians. Either 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians for you. Might have a couple awkward moments like this in this sermon series. I wish I knew I had it all memorized. Go to 2 Corinthians 7 1. I knew it was right by there. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. How do you think someone becomes perfected in the things of God? How do you think someone gets away from all that contamination? By the very promises you were just given. And so think of the promises of God as that which you can be forgiven of. By, so let me say it like this. The promises of God are what we apply to be forgiven of any mistakes we make in the promises of God. So God says, I'm going to do this, this, and this for you. And then at times, we don't always do this, this, and this. But in the promise, it says, if you don't always do it, I still got your back. How many know he promised forgiveness? Put a new tab up there, uh, second, uh, 1 John chapter 2. I want to just show you how it works quickly here in closing today, but I think you guys got it. We'll talk more about it maybe in second service. But I want you to see it clearly. That if I, see, and some people, and this is where we may disagree, some people think now as a Christian we can't sin because we have been purified. I still believe we can sin, but that's not our nature. Just because my child can sin, that doesn't mean they're now a sinner. Do you get it? Just because my child sin doesn't mean they're not a wyrostic anymore. If you are a born-again child, you are still a child even if you sin. But what do I believe is backsliding? What do I believe takes us from, from Christ's nature is if we continue in sin to unbelieve and then deny Christ. And so I do believe a person can deny Christ that faith that God was using as a bridge to give them their new nature. But look at it. My dear children. Who is he talking to? My dear what? Children. They're obviously Christians. I write this to you that you will not what? Sin, but if anyone 
does sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not ours only, but also for what? The sins of the whole world. And I have gone back and forth with those who believe we do not sin anymore in this passage because they think this is only applying to the world. But this is, once again, what we'd call a juxtaposition. It's just a big word of a comparison. You notice he's talking to the children of God. And then when he says, also for the sins of the world, we know that if the also is here, then that would apply to the sins of the children, right? So the also means that children can have sin. That's why he says it's not just for ours only. It's not just for ours, not just for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Does everybody get it there? So I don't have to teach sinless perfection to understand that God has still made me perfect to be sinless. Do you understand that? And so this has become a debate among the holiness preachers all the way back into the days of Wesley. Are we saying we're sinless because now Christ has perfected us? And this is the debate back and forth, and it's continuing on to this day. But this is where I settle it, that once you believe God made you sinless, you will sin less. Amen? And once you get the idea of being sinless, you sin less, you will stop coming for the forgiveness, and you'll start coming for the victory. Instead of waiting after the fact to say, oopsie, I made up, you'll come at the beginning of it and say, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Because yes, you are to pray for the forgiveness of sins, but you're also to pray to not be led into temptation. And so going back to that passage, please, in 2 Corinthians, is there a purification that can happen in a Christian's life? Yes. But it doesn't change their position as being sanctified and washed. And I'm going to go now to another place. Can I show you one more in closing? Vinny, would you come, please? Let's go to this passage in closing, uh, closing, please. It's going to be in 2 Corinthians as well. Uh, Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. If you're encouraged today, can I hear an amen? So if a Christian, can a Christian sin? Yes. But should a Christian sin? No. Were we made perfect? Yes. Do we always live perfect? No, but can we? Yes, right? These are the answers to the bigger questions that you may want to know. But I'm telling you, it starts with understanding your identity. It starts with understanding who you are. Because, yes, you can be purified after you sin from anything that contaminates you. That's what I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. But notice 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, um, verse 11 says, well, let's go back up. No, no, let's, let's get the whole testimony here. Let's start at verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. So they're fighting each other and suing each other. How many know that's a messed up church? Amen. They're, they're messed up. They need Jesus to remind them who they are. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Take the low road. Uh, the high road, and let the other one take the low road, right? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your own brothers and sisters. So he know, we know he's rebuking them for their be- bad behavior. But look at what he says here. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Look at your neighbor and go, mm-hmm. Come on, just give him a little, mm-hmm. Maybe a point, maybe just a little, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what some of you were, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what some of you were. But now look at this. Just as much as you were that... 
but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Come on, somebody. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus today. Somebody shout hallelujah if you believe that you're washed, sanctified, justified. Woo! Band and altar workers, would you come, please, as you're standing, giving glory to God for what he did. Would you go back to that passage now in Colossians? As the fullness of deity dwelled in Christ, now in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Your sin nature has been dealt with at the cross. It is finished. Whatever today you are going through in the flesh, and I go through in the flesh, it is an illusion, a shadow of who we were, not who we are. And the commands of God, the works of the Lord that he wants us to do, these are not achieving for us the righteousness of God. It's the righteousness of God that's that's who we are, that we can do those things. But if at any point we stumble, we fall, we somehow get contaminated in our mind or in our behavior or let things into our family, into into our lives, we can be purified, we can be forgiven, we should ask for it quickly because that's what we were given at salvation. How many believe today you're the fullness of God's image in the human flesh today? that God hasn't missed any part of filling you, would you just close your eyes and say, I believe God is filling me, that God has filled every part of me. And if you're not saved, start by saying, God, fill every part of me. Forgive me for sinning and keeping parts from you. I'm filled to the fullness with Christ Jesus today. I'm filled to the fullness with Christ Jesus today. Father, I thank you today that there's nothing lacking in my relationship with you today that every good thing has been given to me today, that I am seated in heavenly places. Now from this place, whatever you're facing, tear it down in the name of Jesus. Any temptation, any lofty thoughts, bring them down to the subjection of God. Reject any temptation in your life. Rebuke it in Jesus' name. Take your stand today. And if you have been contaminated, ask God to purify your thoughts. Ask Him to renew your mind. Ask Him to renew that which he's already given you. A few moments right now, would you talk to the Lord about what's going on in your life? If you've been living in defeat, ask the Lord to encourage you through faith today to know who you are. Ask for forgiveness. Stand in your identity. I'm so excited about what God is doing in this church. These messages have been preached here before, but we're going to take this season to really just hear how to apply these kind of messages to our lives and it's going to start from who we are in Christ a few moments right now Lord I thank you for who you made me to be remind me oh God in my times of temptation remind me oh God come on somebody needs to ask the Lord to remind them this week of who they are to not be tempted uh, to be drawn away by the temptation because if we had time we could go through the three ways that Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil in the same way Jesus was tempted. And those are the same ways he tempts us, isn't it? He gets us to look at our flesh. You know, you're hungry, feed yourself. He gets us to doubt our identity if you're the son of God. And then he gets us to want to change our purpose. 
Well, you know, just bow down to me and I'll let you have these kingdoms. Those things from our flesh to our identity to our purpose is how he tempts us every time. You can go back to the garden and see those three ways. Right now, ask God to guard your identity, protect your identity, to build up your most holy faith in the spirit right now, to live holy, sanctified lives, to bring him glory, to bring him a good reputation among the earth, right? Because people see our lives and they glorify God the Father. A few more moments. We'll dismiss, and you know, if you need prayer for anything, if you want brothers and sisters to come alongside of you, they'll be up here, especially if you're accepting Jesus as Lord today for the first time or as a rededication. But a few moments right now, some of you can just, right, you could stay here all day just appreciating what he did. I know some of you deal with depression, and it's hard because you always get lost in yourself. The Bible says deny yourself. Look at Christ today. Look at what Christ did. Read the promises in the scripture today. Fill your mind with what he's done for you. Fill your mind with who you are in Christ. You're seated with him. You're forgiven. You're washed. You're loved. You're accepted. You've been given power and authority. A few moments right now. We want to thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives and what you're going to do. In the last few moments, the good works. Come on, we're not going to forget those. Ask the Lord now to use you to do good works because you're his workmanship, right? You got the order right. Ask God to help you to do righteous things because you are the righteousness of God. That's why it will work this week. That's why it's going to be different. For some of you, you need the good work of purity, right? But but you got to remember, he's already made you the work of purity. He's already done the work and purified you. That's why I haven't looked at pornography since 96. You'll be able to say the same thing starting this week, that there was the last time and that you never went back. Why? Because you're going to know you're pure. That's why you can do pure things now. Some of you, like it's anger and other things, know that God has given you peace and patience. Ask the Lord to give you today the, the faith, the strength to believe you can do all these things. That these commands of God are not a burden, they're a blessing to our lives, and they've already been prepared in advance for us to do. This is how we work out of our salvation. This is how we do it with fear and trembling. We do it now because we take it serious. A few moments, Lord, I ask you to encourage your people today, starting with me, to never forget who you made me to be, who you made us to be in your image, how we're filled with your fullness, how, God, you've washed us and cleansed us. May we work it out today. May we walk out this plan you have for us, grow in it, continue to live in it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless us?